This is Four Color Radio, where the notes meet the page. Well, good evening, everyone. And as is running tradition on the show, it has been zero episodes since our last technical difficulty. Uh, My name is Jay, and welcome to Four Color Radio, where the notes do, in fact, meet the page, the notes being the music and the page being the comics. Yes, right, we talk about music that comes from comic book properties and stuff like that. Uh, And we've got another great show lined up for you this evening. I find I often talk in plural. I say we have a good show um, lined up and I, you know, I think it's a habit from work because I always try to make sure to talk in plural and I will talk about myself, but I'm really the only one who puts the show together. But I guess I really don't. Well, I guess I'll see myself out there. <laughs> well, I guess we do have a good show coming up. Um, Four Color Radios, of course, is broadcasting over the Sound Sugar Radio Network, and I am live in studio with my guest tonight in at the Origin Road Studios here in Sherwood Park, and I'm very, uh, very grateful that they have been a host for the show throughout the duration of season one. That's a, some foreshadowing there for those of you who don't know. Um, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that this show is being broadcast from Treaty 6 territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. All right. Let us get into the show. My guest tonight uh, was the first guest on Four Color Radio, and uh, and he was very always willing to come back at any moment, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to bank it because I know he's going to bring something special. I know he's going to make it a lot of fun. I know we're going to nerd out about the music hard. Um, my guest tonight, Phil Scott. Hey, man. Thank you so much for coming back. And uh, thanks. Uh, we had a little a little hint of things to come there in the um, in the opening montage, which you have provided for the show throughout the duration of the season. We have a variety of different montages. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for all that. But, no problem. Uh, yeah, a little a little uh, teenage mutant ninja turtle action here. We're gonna go back to 1990 um, when you were youngish. <laughs> <laughs> I can I know exactly how it was. 11 years old when this was. Uh when this came out was a big, a big thing. It was, it very, was huge. It, I, this came out, uh, I'm not, I don't mean to jump ahead on your notes page here. Go ahead. This, this came out uh, right. I was writing that target demo for, cause it was the, <laughs> the cartoon and the playmates toys. Whatever yeah. right. And I, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I bit down hard on <laughs> turtle mania. Uh, the, the, we were on vacation. My family was on vacation in Florida mm-hmm. in April of 1990. And that's when I bought that cassette. This very one. <laughs> you got, you have the cassette yeah. here. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you venture to either of our Facebook pages or I'm sure you're, you will have the photo up later, but uh, sure. we did our, our little selfie photo and there is the cassette, the, the CD, uh, and of course the attire, the, well, the, the you gotta look the part. You gotta look the part you did. You brought, you brought it all, man. That was, <laughs> that's awesome. So, so glad you did. Um, yeah, like yeah, obviously you did. You did bite hard. Um, 
one of the things that, that you and I have in common that we've spent a lot of time in our friendship with is music. Um, your knowledge and, and repertoire uh, of music is is ridiculously vast. Um, but like me, you like anything. Like you just enjoy music. Yeah, and I think that's about- where we always kind of got along pretty well. It, di- it didn't matter. And when you, uh, with your cohorts, uh, White Level Demo, we're playing at the store and it was like punk. And I'm like, oh, I'm not a huge punk fan, but it's like you guys are playing kind of like the right punk to kind of <laughs> ease me into it. And then I'm going to punk venues and I'm, and I'm getting appreciation for it. Uh, you can, the first episode you did is Superman and we're doing, we're doing a score right out of the gate and John Williams, obviously a big name, but then introducing it to me on a different level and appreciating it. And now tonight, you know, it's, Music, technically still. Yeah, hard left from before, though. <laughs> yeah. But we're going a much different direction. You um, you're, w- is your love for Turtles at all blinding you to the quality of this music? No, what I would say is that nostalgia <laughs> is a large factor uh, for my appreciation of it. Yeah. It, it, and I mean, obviously, like you said, you were 11. You were the target audience for this. How, like, was there was there anything from this this genre this time this influence it still kind of carries with you like do you have like a an um i guess a uh, matured appreciation for any of the artists or the music stylings i don't know if you could argue anything about me is mature but okay, what i enough. will say is that <laughs> i i and i i i think i have this opinion that you should never sort of forcefully remove stuff from your musical repertoire you're gonna grow out of things over time, whether you're a child or an adult, you know, yeah. a lot of people liked Limp Bizkit for a while and then have moved on from that sort of just naturally right. after realizing there's not a whole lot of depth there. Um, but if you like a thing, it doesn't, to me at least, it doesn't matter why. I, I yeah. still to this day, to the point where I just reordered the three-disc, one-DVD reissue of Debbie Gibson's Electric Youth. Love that album. <laughs> love it as a kid. Love it now. Don't care. Same thing with this. There's, it's easier now to see the weaker moments on the soundtrack, right. but there's there's things on here I still legitimately love. Yeah. Well, and I thought too, like when, of course, when you, you told me about it and I'm like, I know the soundtrack. I mean, I was, I am still a little bit older than you are, um, but I I was into this. Like I bought the CD, I listened to it a lot. And then as it's playing, I'm like, I know all these songs. And then there's like, mm, yeah, there's some stuff in here that I I don't listen to anymore <laughs> for sure. But uh, certainly, you know, there's still some, uh, there's still a lot of fun stuff on here. And in the context of the movie, it's, it all fits. Like it's all, it does. Despite <laughs> the fact that a lot of this, if it's in the movie at all, cause I'm not convinced all of it is. Cause I watched the movie beforehand. Uh, not, does not feature very prominently. No, no. And Which the is first, weird. The first song off of this soundtrack that isn't sort of score or instrument, instrumental based is a half hour into the movie. <laughs> I timed it. <laughs> well, let us not wait a half hour uh, into the uh, into the show before we start playing some music. So, whoops. Oh, oh, what was that? That was, oh my goodness. That was leftovers. Man, here we go. We are now less than one episode since our last technical difficulty. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to jump into our first track, uh, first two tracks, actually, of uh, for tonight's show, coming from the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The f- opening track here is by Mr. Stanley Kirk Burrell, um, and uh, he did uh, he did some fun music. He did uh, yeah, he was he, a leading member of the Hippity Hop Brigade for a while. He was, and and some cool dance moves. Um, so we're gonna listen to Stanley. I think his shoes spoke to him once. <laughs> 
We're going to start with Stanley's opening uh, opening tune for us tonight. It's called This Is What We Do. And then we're going to follow it up uh, with a Belgian band um, that everyone will remember fondly from the early 1990s uh, and their track, Spin That Wheel. So uh, let's dive right into it here on Four Color Radio. Just watch what I do. I do, I do, I do. Y'all through? Busting your bubble, that's what we do. Don't, 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 don't,
jumped really quick that was the uh <laughs> the belgian 
duo slash trio, uh, High Tech 3, probably better also known as Technotronic. Same people. Same people. Um, they had the huge hit, Pump Up the Jam. That was a monster, monster hit. That was uh, for them. And before that, before Spin That Wheel by High Tech 3, we had uh, Mr. As we said, Stanley Kirk Burrell, a.k.a. MC Hammer, uh, with This Is What We Do. As we said off air, or as you mentioned, like MC Hammer was the biggest thing yeah. at that time. Yeah, this thing, this album came out a month after Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. So, to, uh, what, what, um, Can't Touch This is just tearing up the charts. Yeah. And then they put him, him as the opening track on this album, which is probably one of the best things they could have done. Right. And then he went on to not have the biggest song on the album. It's <laughs> crazy. It's funny, like, yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> the biggest artist in the world at the time and can't score the biggest hit mm. off the record. It, and it very much sounds like it might have been a beat, like a throwaway from those sessions, though. Yeah. Like, it's very, like I say, it's of that era, all the gang vocals and whatnot. It's it's pretty, <laughs> pretty 89 hammer. Pretty on the nose yeah. for everything that was done. Um, but yeah, that that, uh, that not technotronic, technotronic song. That's uh, that's a good jam. That's a pretty good jam. But it was it was uh, it's funny to kind of look and just uh, and as I was digging into it, it was just kind of like oh, that's like I remember how much it impacted me because I was eighteen going on nineteen, and of course you know I was kind of grunge wasn't quite around yet, so we're still kind of like finding some musical identity. Dance music's kind of big, huge. Hip hop and everything else is huge, and this comes out and it's like you know, it's big and it's like to find out it's just, you know, a couple of dudes from Belgium. It's like, <laughs> it, just, it just didn't seem to fit the vision, especially with the video that came along with it. And cause they had, um, their singer, you know, obviously is, is like very kind of, it just it all felt very American. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of tough to kind of reconcile my memories. Now I'm kind of happy. What do they call that? Um, What's that effect? Mandela effect. Mandela effect. Yeah, yeah I'm having a Mandela effect. It's like, this can't be. <laughs> this can't be accurate. I remember it all differently. Very, very differently. Um, the next two tracks that we've got coming up here. Oh, the first one's a, is a doozy, and in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, probably the most fun thing that we can say about it is, uh, or that I can thank you for, is thank you for bringing some CanCon. To the show. Yeah, the first of two, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Spunkadelic is our, our next act that's coming up, a Canadian duo. Um, with, I mean, what were they on when they came up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> well, so they have the name Spunkadelic. What was the name of the album? They're oh, yeah, the Spunk Junk. Spunk Junk. Yeah, which, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a friend of ours who's probably listening tonight who's having a field day uh, with this. Oh, thank God. It's a one-way medium. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Spunkadelic Canadian duo. There's very little about them. Yeah, they're very little. Like I said, they had this song and they had, they put an album called Spunk Junk. And there is, if you look on, if you, if you are up for it, and I would recommend passing on this, but you can find a video of them quote unquote performing this song live on some telethon. And it, it, it kind of, it, it betrays how thin the song kind of is because it's mm. just the two of them and a whole bunch of stage because there's no, you know, people in the background pushing buttons and stuff. And then the right. two people who are clearly, there's a track being played. It's yeah. very much a lip sync performance and there's not a lot going on. No. So <laughs> that's, that's got to be tough. That had to be even tough for them. Cause I mean, to just, to take that and be entertaining for the people who, who are not entertained. <laughs> now, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not crapping on the side like this. So it's a catchy tune. Yeah. Again, very much of the era. Yes. But you can, I mean, it's pretty evident that there was not much else behind it. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to listen to it anyway. We should. It's fun. We're going to listen to 9.95, and then we're going to follow it up uh, with a song from a gentleman by the name of Johnny Kemp, uh, who uh, was from the Bahamas, if I remember correctly, uh, had a you know, a couple of fairly big U.S. Uh, R&B hits. Uh, and he did a song for this album. He was also like, fairly, he was fairly big in the R&B area at the time as well. And for a while in Canada too, he was in a, he was in a singing group called Kinky Fox. Oh, right. And for a while they became kind of like the, the, the in vogue sort of bar band backing, backing group really for like Quebec, Montreal and parts of Ontario. That, that sort of arc there. Right. That, that condor or corridor rather. Yeah. And they were, uh, they had a, a bit of a following at that point, and then he went left and went solo. Did a, a sort of mediocre solo career. Had a song called Just Got Paid, I think was yep. his big hit, which then it. ended up being covered by NSYNC on one of their records. <laughs> so was. go figure. I think probably one of the most entertaining things I found was that he actually recorded a version of the theme for Reading Rainbow that was used for several years. There you go. On the show. So and that didn't a, make it into the intro. It didn't. Fire that guy. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you're looking for someone new for season two. There I you don't go. know. Uh, so uh, here's Johnny Kemp. Uh, to me, he's almost kind of like uh, the predecessor to R. Kelly as far as tossing in Ooh. these, uh, not as a person, but <laughs> musically within right. a soundtrack. Because uh, R. Kelly usually gets has appeared in several soundtracks, like Space Jam, Batman and Robin, where he has this certain type of song that comes in. And... Uh, and I was kind of picking up a little bit of that that vibe. This song was kind of fitting that mold. I, my apologies to the Kemp family. I know Johnny <laughs> has passed on some time ago. I was not comparing him to R. Kelly. Just the song, even though it's fit in the, in the thing. So uh, I'll stop digging myself out of yeah, this nice hole. There. there we go. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's jump into some Spunkadelic, because that's also always a great segue. And then uh, Mr. Johnny Kemp with the walls come down here on Four Color Radio.
no job, it's 9.95. It's cool, it's bad, it's killing. It's hip, ready, and willing. It's 9.95.
And that is Mr. Johnny Kemp with Let the Walls Come Down from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtrack of the 1990 film, because there have been many a Ninja Turtle movie. Uh, not all great. Not all great. Uh, that's actually um, something my coworker, Sylvia, had mentioned to me when I said we were doing this episode. And she's like, is that the good one? Or, And I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> it sure it was. And she's like, but was, wasn't two better? And I'm like, isn't, I'm pretty sure two was two turtles through time. No, that was two was Secret of the Use. Secret of the Use. Okay. Was it better than one? No. I don't think no. so. And Hard no. Turtles Through Time I don't think was better. <laughs> I've never even seen Turtles Through okay, Time. I can't so, bring myself to do it. So that. we're going to say that the first Ninja Turtle live action Ninja Turtles movie was the best. Sold. There yeah. we go. We're good. good. <laughs> um, just before Mr. Kemp there uh, was the Canadian duo called Spunkadelic with their song 9.95. Um, and during the break, Phil and I uh, were pondering um, how this song was made and how this duo ended up on the soundtrack. We're not entirely sure. And, and as Phil said beforehand, they had one album, and this was kind of like the only song that gave them any notoriety. And then, despite not being on the album either, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing when it, when you've got a, a group that's that small and has that sort of seven and a half minutes of fame, there's not a lot of info to be found on them. So, yeah, it's yeah. Even their their Wikipedia page um, literally just basically says Canadian duo. It names them. They don't have any links, so whatever. They didn't really kind of do more after it, or they just, you know, kept a very low profile one or the other. But, uh, yeah, it was certainly very quiet, which is kind of odd because it, it's it's a good song. I enjoy that song. Uh, I think they work pretty well together musically, vocally. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I guess not every Canadian can Celine <laughs> Dion it or Brian Adams it or... Whatever, but uh, yeah, but a couple of good tunes anyway, and I still stand by my assertion that Let the Walls Come Down is is that song for the soundtrack. Kind of different from all the other stuff. It's got that kind of slow jam groove to it, a little bit of a big bump in the middle kind yep. of deal, but yeah. I think it's, it's a traditional a, sort of New Jack Swing ballad. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty sweet, pretty sweet. All right, we're going to... Um, Move into a kind of our next chunk of music here. Uh, and the next couple blocks are actually going to be featuring just uh, one individual. Um, yeah, it was John Dupre that did the uh, the, the score for this. Um, not a lot of his stuff is featured on the soundtrack itself, but a couple of years ago, uh, uh, the, the name of the label escapes, but one of these sort of boutique soundtrack labels reissued the complete score on double LP and CD for the first time ever, mm-hmm. which I missed out on entirely. And now it's hundreds of dollars on the secondary market. And so I won't ever have one. Um, but he did the, the score for this and, and it was two bits that we're going to take from what's on the CD, which is the, uh, the splinters tail one and two. And then uh, we're coming back after that, but right. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to take it. Cause it's, it's a pretty good chunk there and it's, it's kind of a, well, I mean, it's actually kind of in the movie because it is splinter telling his tale yeah. <laughs> in two parts. One of them is the first time that uh, when, when they, they save April from the foot yeah. and they bring her back into the sewer, which, you know, welcome. Uh, <laughs> and she's freaking out. Splinter shows up and calms her down and tells her the story in the film. It's played just as <laughs> that sentence right there. The talking rat who has brought her down to this calms her down yeah. to tell her, okay, I just had to get that out of my, just system. so you know where we are. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, then, then they play that sort of like a flashback scene. And then this dialogue is done over that. And I think the second one, if I recall correctly, is when he's uh, Splinter's been captured by Shredder and being held in the foot lair. Right. And uh, Danny, who was April O'Neil's boss's son, who's, you know, 
being tempted by the, the dark side of the force, the foot, um, <laughs> finds Splinter and he tells him the second story. That's, I think, where those two come from. Yeah. that's <laughs> Interesting well. enough, though, because I have to make sure I don't forget this. The guy who does the voice of Splinter, mm-hmm. of course, he assumes the whole thing is from Japan, so you assume they get a Japanese actor to do the voiceover. Yeah. Not so much. No. The guy that got to do the voice of Splinter ends up, it's the most... Uh, Highest paid Muppeteer of all time because it was Kevin Clash. Oh. Who made his millions being the voice of Elmo. And because of the deal he made with the toy makers of things like Tickle Me Elmo, mm-hmm. he gets a cut every time you sell one. Oh. This obviously is long that's, before he had the, the controversy. Yeah, somebody. but that's, that's uh, <laughs> it's kind of one of those shrewd businessman type of um, Bob Kane, Stan Lee type of maneuvers. Yeah. But like, I mean, definitely when you hear the voice of Elmo, you're also thinking wise ninja rat. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, not oh, okay. at all. Just not at all. <laughs> if I if I do, please end it now. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's roll back into this. And and uh, I mean, it's kind of a score piece, but it's still kind of like a musical track. Like, mm-hmm. how would you how would you classify this as like a type of music, or are we just gonna really kind of settle it as it's a score with? I mean, at best, it'd be a spoken word performance with some backing to it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's fair. I think fair enough. All right, well, let's dive into uh, let's let's learn the origin of uh, let's let's be calmed by the the oversized talking rat and uh, learn the origin of the oversized talking ninja turtles uh, as we listen to Splinter's Tale Part One and Part Two. Shin lying on the floor and 
then he saw her killer. Saki wasted no words, and during the struggle, my gauge was broken. I leapt to Saki's face, biting and clawing, but he threw me to the floor and took one swipe with his katana, slicing my ear. Then he was gone, and I was alone. Dupre. Yeah, because yeah, it's spelled P-R-E-Z, so <clears throat> it's a little deceiving. John Dupre there with the uh, Splinter's Tale 1 and 2, and as we've listened to it and determined, um, there probably should be, it was actually 2 and then 1. 2 and 1, yeah. yeah. It's, weird. <laughs> it's a little it's bit out of order from the movie. So here's my question. Um, he finds the turtles. Um, tr- Splinter finds the turtles, uh, the, and he gets surprised when they start talking. Um, he, he found them as baby turtles in a ooze in the sewer. How did they learn any of the words? Where did they hear pizza and cowabunga? And who was stupid enough to teach them cowabunga? Well, in my own headcanon, which I'm making up now on the spot. Okay. The, the, the spot in the sewer they were was right below a grate uh, in front of a store that sold TVs. 
Makes sense. There you that's go. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, it's always plagued me. It's like, how did you learn? Like, I, I got to be freaked out by talking, but it's like, where did you learn words? There's <laughs> nobody around. <clears throat> What's then, really going to mess with your head is how did Splinter know what a turtle was? <laughs> I love, I love the, uh, kind of the whole, like, oh, I had to scour through this the sewers icky sewers and and forge and scrounge for food and i'm like you're a rat it's literally all you do is scrounge for food you're, you're a pro out of the gate yeah <laughs> it's like maybe i didn't spend so much time watching some guy do kung fu then you know in karate <laughs> you would know how to be a better rat um <laughs> a little bit of, um what can you tell us about john john dupre like john dupre is a british composer um, he had done, uh, he's, he's been around since at least the early eighties, perhaps a little bit earlier. He mm. has done things like, um, he's worked with Monty Python. Mm. He did the soundtrack for fish called Wanda. He did the score for a little thing called UHF. Right. <laughs> um, and recently, well, recently anymore, but he also worked with Eric Idle when they reworked Monty Python and the Holy Grail into spam a lot. That's this is, his music as well. This is kind of a bit of a departure. I mean, I guess it fits in line more with UHF than it maybe does with Monty Python. A little bit. Interestingly enough, though, so the director's a guy named Steve Barron, and again, another Brit. Mm -hmm. um, his work up until this point had been largely music videos, not exclusively, but largely music videos. Right. And he had developed a friendship with Malcolm McLaren, one-time manager of the Sex Pistols. Right. And the reason he, he kind of had put, there's, there's a cut, according to him, there's a cut of the film that exists with, I guess Malcolm McLaren did this sort of, sort of punked up classic type albums like blue Danube and things like that. Okay. And they use that as sort of temp guide music on the sound, on the, the cut of one of the one version of the film. Right. And um, weren't able to get that music, unfortunately. So the, 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 the movie, the geez, what do you call it? <laughs> studio. Thank okay. you. <laughs> the studio wanted to sort of go a little more commercial. Right. Hence they came up with this wonderful piece. Anyway, um, <laughs> But that's the reason why the, the Danny character, all those t-shirts are Sex Pistols and Sid Vicious. <laughs> was the, the nod to Malcolm McLaren. Wasn't it just to make him edgy? Well, I mean, there's lots of ways you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the music, I find um, that that score piece, as it were, it very, very, um, it's actually more kind of, to me, more early 80s. Um, like I'm picking up vibes of like, Jan Hammer and some Miami Vice themes and stuff like that. I'm picking up a lot of it because it's, it's very simple. Like it's not overly complex. It's not layered with a lot of instruments or anything like that. Um, and then that guitar riff that kind of kicks in at the end there. And I was like, oh, I'm seeing, you know, neon clothing and, and headbands <laughs> everywhere. Um, but again, I guess it was still kind of a remnants from that, that era and just kind of get tacked into that movie. Um, but certainly not typical of what John was doing for other films i would stuff. say i disagree it's not yeah. like it's that far of a walk either yeah. um we're gonna see here here's some of his other stuff in a minute but it's it's not that far away from where he was sort of in that time and to be completely fair there's not a whole lot to a lot of the music that's played in the movie right there's it's it's not it doesn't call for like the i was here for superman right yeah 90 something piece orchestra whatever that was because it calls for the grandiose and the, the grandiose nature of the film of the right. character requires that this doesn't this is okay having that hip-hop music in the background while four turtles four ninja turtles are kicking ass and a bunch of goons right no fair enough okay fair enough it's a very simple complex requires a very simple score well we're going to hear another track from john um uh, coming up here shredder sweet so we're flipping from the i guess the the this senior 
um, good guy to the senior bad guy um, and kind of turning the tables. And then coming up um, right after Shredder's Suite, you've got a, a comparison piece, a bonus track you've tossed in for the show that's not part of the movie. No, so th- this Shredder's Suite, is, I mean, it's probably my favorite piece from the entire album. I just love the instrumentation on it. I think it's great. Yeah. <clears throat> and it, it's because, I mean, at the time, a, a score recording wasn't released. So this is kind of cut together from bits of the score from different parts of the movie into a single suite. Right. Um, but because of that, it, it still kind of tells a little bit of a story on its own, which is kind of kind of clever. Right. It is, this is the, I think, two movies before this one. I had mentioned John Dupre did the score for A Fish Called Wanda. Right. And so... There's there's moments in that you know John Williams gets tagged with this a lot and it's come up in some of your other shows as well composers that kind of borrow for them from themselves yeah. over time <laughs> and just because it was fresh in my mind I you know recently just picked up the the reissued score for a fish called Wanda I found a couple of comparison tracks that show in one case where he's ripped himself off explicitly <laughs> and in one case where he's just kind of borrowed thematically from his previous work ah, and cool. so I've, I've stapled those four together. Awesome. For what I think would be an interesting listen. Oh, well, sweet. All right. Uh, sweet. Let's, let's get into Shredder's Suite uh, by John Dupre. And then after that, uh, Phil's uh, piece together their comparison of John's uh, other samples of work, uh, just so that we can hear how it all kind of blends together. So uh, let's dive right back in here. We're doing 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtrack. And uh, we're coming up. This next track is called Shredder's Suite. Thank you. 
And that was a bit of the comparison there between John Dupre's uh, Ninja Turtles music and the music from Fish Called Wanda. Um, we, For those of you who are listening live, we are just going to pause briefly. We're going to do a quick reset because apparently we've got a little audio ticking going on again, which we just hate. So we want to try to preserve the last little bit of the show here while we can. So we're going to be right back. And with any luck, we are back and clean and clear. And if we're not, please give us a shout. Um, and we'll try to clean it up a little bit more because we are having a good time listening to some 90s hip-hop, little funk, little little dance. Little New Jack Swing. Little New Jack Swing. Uh, coming from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990, uh, my f- guest and friend. I, was gonna, I didn't know what order to put those in. I got confused. <laughs> Um, Phil Scott is here with me tonight, um, and we've been going through, and that uh, last song that we heard was uh, John Dupre's uh, score piece called Shredder Sweet, uh, and then at the tail end of that, Phil put together a little kind of 50-50 comparison between uh, the Ninja Turtle score and Fish Called Wanda score, just to kind of see how... As you said, some people borrow from themselves. <laughs> or rip themselves off outright. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Or. I love it. Either or is pretty good. Um, now is the time in the show uh, where we do our stats time. So we're going to break down a few numbers and talk a little bit more about uh, the source material that uh, all this fun music is coming from. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was released on March 30th of 1990. It was produced for a budget of $13.5 million. And it grossed $202 million on now, its initial release. I'm no mathematician. Is that more than? That is quite a bit more right than. On. Cool. Yeah. So cool. it, it did really, really well. Um, I'm well, actually it, kind of surprised by the budget. Um, it's that well, it started million. at seven. Yeah. <laughs> but it just seems like, uh, and we were talking a little bit about the special effects and watching it now when you think it's 1990, the special effects can't be that good. They're really good. Yeah, I was I was impressed <laughs> rewatching for this that the the turtle costumes with I mean obviously you have to look at it with it's it's obviously animatronics running say the turtle heads. Yeah, but the rest of it looks like it looks really good. Yeah, they did a really really good job, especially what they were asking those costumes to do. Yeah, oh um, for sure, and yeah. what a credit that is to the Jim Henson workshop because that's Absolutely. where this came from. That's that's who we're coming. So uh, it was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was the most successful indie movie of all time up until it was eclipsed by the Blair Witch Project in 1990. So for the better part of almost a decade, it held that title. Uh, it was one of Jim Henson's last projects before he passed away and obviously he did not pull any punches on it he went hard <laughs> into this did not phone it in in uh in any way shape or form uh, it's like i said we it's it, those costumes are damn impressive yeah um to me of note uh the, the actor who plays casey jones in the film as a canadian by the name of uh, elias uh, i would believe it's cotes cotes yep. and uh and he, uh, being a Canadian, it makes sense to play Casey Jones because, uh, you know, then he knows how to play hockey. He gets all the hockey stuff right. Yeah. So uh, you, if you got anybody else, you're just, then you'd be phoning it in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, of note, uh, members of the Foot Clan, uh, there were a variety of different people who actually had to play the parts. Uh, so there are a few people who maybe you've heard of. Um, Sam Rockwell was a Foot Clan member. Uh, Skeet Ulrich was a Foot Clan member. And um, maybe lesser known, Wolf Scott. Uh, Scott Wolf. Scott, or sorry, Scott Wolf. Oh, Scott. Oh, <laughs> Scott Wolf from Party of Five. Uh, all members of the Foot Clan at one point or another. So glad that they turned their lives around and uh, found the path to, uh, in some cases, excellent acting and good stuff. 
Um, on the comic book side of thing, which of course is where all this comes from, uh, there's so much backstory to this. Um, and even this past week, coincidentally, I've dropped other bits of information to friends who've posted stuff on Twitter and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, funny story how this ties to the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one was released May of 1984 with a limited print run of 3,000 copies. That was it. That's And that's ridiculously low in comic book standards, especially even in the 80s. Yeah, would this have been the same time that like, Uncanny X-Men's doing like three, 400,000 copies a month or something, right? They're doing, they're doing pretty good. We're, we're starting to that climb up. Um, the Teen Titans, I believe, is the new Teen Titans is still probably the number one book in the industry. The X-Men and Teen Titans are going back and forth. 3,000 copies uh, is incredibly low. Um, there are six different printings of that first issue along with several different forgeries. So if you get all excited thinking um, that you have a first uh, issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you're probably going to want to look at it a little more closely or have somebody uh, look at it uh, who may know a little bit more because uh, as of September of this year, uh, TMNT number one has become the most valuable modern age comics, uh, comic book in history. A book, a copy at a 9.8 grade uh, sold for $245,000. Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, we talked uh, uh, on a previous show about um, uh, a couple episodes back. We were talking about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, and we talked about the first uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, and it eclipsed Superman and Batman, but it was also a much higher grade. Um, so it doesn't really count. Oh yeah, we know. Um, but $245,000 for a book that ha uh, isn't quite 30 years old yet or 40 years old. Um, that's an insane amount of money, but there's certainly no discounting the impact the Ninja Turtles have had on pop culture and their, uh, their re their worldwide reach. Mm -hmm. Still, I mean, they're still going. It's still going. Um, more movies, <laughs> toys, and everything else. Um, there is the the Netflix series Toys That Made Us that does an, an episode on Ninja Turtles. Yeah. And even during the research, I saw that within uh, less than a four-year span, uh, the initial toy line had done almost $1.4 billion in sales. And this is in the mid-80s. So a billion dollars? Like We talk about an Avengers movie grossing a billion dollars, and we're like... Poof! That's amazing. But the buildup to get to that billion dollars that they had to make a bunch of movies beforehand. Talking turtles with the names of, of, of Renaissance artists and doing ninja stuff, grossing a billion dollars just in the toy sales. Man, I told you we bit down hard on that stuff. <laughs> you, guys, you guys did. I don't man. know how else to put it. You guys were very impressionable. I had, the, I had the turtles. My brother had the pizza van that shot pizzas. <laughs> Shoots actual little little toy disc pizzas. We were there. We were all over it. This is good times. Yeah. <laughs> good times, good memories. All right. Well, we are closing in on the end of the show here, which means we have uh, we have one song left to go. Do uh, we really have this? I thought it was done. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> kind of seems like a good way. It would have been a good this way. This would be to a go. good place to stop. I yeah. We can't, we can't get any better. <laughs> we can't get We've clearly heard the best. Art. How do you beat Spunkadelic? Yeah. <laughs> question well by bringing in partners in crime oh i think is what we need to do they need to clean up the mess uh, crime with a k for those who are uh who are wondering um this may not be the best song 
like from I guess a musical standpoint. I I all around. I think it's still pretty good. It's still I'm not gonna lie. You're right. It might be sort of draped in nostalgia, but I think it's still pretty good. It's still pretty, pretty solid. Catchy. Yeah. <laughs> um. And again, and Partners in Crime, another act that there's there's not a lot to them. Um. This turns out to be. Uh, well, it's their only number one. It only hits number one in the UK. It hits uh, number 13 in the US. They never even put out a full-length album. Nope. One and done. See Just you later. A couple of singles. <laughs> so then I'm really starting to question the, the putting together of this soundtrack. It would be a fun interview with the music director. Like you didn't want to use uh, uh, the former manager of the Sex Pistols music because you wanted to go more commercial. And then the only thing out of here is like, especially with the Technotronic track being done under the guise of High Tech Three, the only name on here is MC Hammer. Yeah, and that's one track. <laughs> so I don't, under, I don't. I mean, it's it's fine. I, I still like the record, but yeah. You know. Oh no, it absolutely is. I mean, I I went and listened through it, you know, while we were prepping for the show and going through the music again and getting the feel for everything. Uh, it's fun, but it it's such a bizarre pairing yeah. of, of artists you kind of want to go down the track list and each time just go huh <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's uh huh our way with uh into partners in crime song here with the song that i'm sure anyone who knows the movie uh, anyone who's listened to the soundtrack everybody knows this tune uh for sure i would think so it's I, it's, it's, it's the it's the standout track of the record standout track of the record i i could not agree uh more i could not agree more there you go. and i won't agree less so <laughs> i'll sit right firmly there with you my friend uh this is uh from the 1990s teenage mutant ninja turtle soundtrack this is partners in crime with their track the closing track for tonight's show turtle power <sighs> On the half shell, they're the heroes for In this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is high, with muggings mysterious All police and detectives are furious Cause they can't find the source Of this lethally evil force This is serious, so give me a quarter I was a witness, get me a reporter Call April O'Neil in on this case Hey, you better hurry up, there's no time to waste We need help like quick on the double Have pity on the city, man, it's in trouble We need heroes like the Lone Ranger When Tonto came pronto, when there was danger They didn't say we'd be there in half an hour Cause they displayed turtle power Reporter was hot on the trail, determined to put these crooks in jail. She spied the bad guys and saw what happened, but before she knew it, she fell in a trap and got caught. Yeah, she was all alone, with no friends and no phone. Now this was beyond her worst dreams, cause she was cornered by some wayward teens. Headed by Shredder, they were anything but good. Misguided on love, they called them the foot. They could terrorize and be angry youth and They'd mug the people who needed proof Then from out of the dark came an awesome sound Shouted cowabunga as they hit the ground From the field of weeds, the heroes rescued the flower Cause they possessed turtle power 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 
stand for what you believe in and find the strength to do what's right, that's turtle power. On a half shell, they're on a mission When there's a battle, got the enemy wishing That they stayed at home Instead of fighting these ninja masters With moves like lightning They were once normal, but now the mutants Splinter's the teacher, so they are the students Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello Make up the team with one other fellow Raphael He's the leader of the group Transformed from the norm by the nuclear goop Pizza's the food that's sure to please These ninjas are into pepperoni and cheese Back to the story, it's not hard to find Ninjas not just of the body, but of the mind Those were the words that the master instructed But a letter from Shredder had Splinter abducted That was the last straw, spring into action Step on the foot, now they're gonna lose traction Now this is for real, so you fight for justice Your shell is hard, so you shout, they can't dust us off Like some old coffee table Since you've been born, you've been willing and able To defeat the snake, protect the weak Fight for rights and your freedom to speak Now the villain is chilling so you make a stand Back to the wall, put your sword in your hand Remember the words of your teacher, your master Evil moves fast, but good moves faster than light Shining for your illumination Good versus evil equals confrontation So when you're in trouble, don't give in and go sour Try to rely on your turtle power If you weren't spelling along during that song, I don't know why you're here. And yet you spelled turtle wrong on the post before the show started. I did. Because <laughs> I was using my phone. And I'm, uh, question. If Spider-Man has a proportionate strength and abilities of a spider, what do the turtles? The turtles have proportionate strength and ability of turtles or they have the proportionate strength and ability of people? Because well, they were turtles. I would I would guess it'd be the turtle. It'd be the people way because they can stand upright and do ninja moves. Oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Comics can be very confusing sometimes. I'm not always That's why sure. We, we're not supposed to think about. Okay, them. we're supposed to buy them. <laughs> so, disbelief suspended. There it is. There you go. <laughs> um, so thank you, thank you for the the Thanks trip for me, man. down nostalgia lane and all the fun and you know ah it was, it was good stuff and. Always fun to hear stories of, of, of how you're impacted by things because it never seems to be like normal. Sometimes it's just always, it's, it's it's all normal. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. <laughs> it was delightful. I have two quick things though. I want to get out before we finish. Yeah, absolutely. Throw them out. First there. off, I, it's it, it needs to be mentioned that Steve Barron, the guy that directed this, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that he did beforehand, like I mentioned before, music videos. Africa by Toto, Hold My Fleet with Mac, Burn It Up by Madonna, Billy Jean by Michael Jackson, <laughs> videos for ZZ Top, Paul McCartney, Rod Stewart, David Bowie, Brian Adams, Def Leppard, and a tiny little thing called Take On Me by Ah Friggin' Ha. <laughs> and he also directed a really cool sort of 80s gem called Electric Dreams. That's worth seeking out if you haven't seen that one before. Right. I remember that. Ve- barely, but I do remember that. Yep. Uh, I come out. It's like, that's, that's quite the... 
the resume. I mean, that, that's just some of them. There's a lot more. Oh, there oh yeah. To be. He was a busy dude then because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that stuff that you listed off came out within a very specific window. <laughs> and, I mean, some of that stuff was not going to be put together. Like me doing a Michael Jackson video, you're not knocking that off in an afternoon. Um, no, especially uh, that Billy James with all the, all the light-up squares and whatnot. Yeah. That's a lot of tech. Which was, yeah, especially at that time, was so far ahead, yeah. um, timing and everything. And, of course, the AHA video, um, legendary. Well, one of the best. One yeah. of the best. And I promised you, I had one factoid you that would just hammer home your level of genius. Are you ready for this? <laughs> okay. So we're doing this. I was on the first show. I'm on the last show. We're doing this sort of a closed parenthesis to season one. Yes. Right? Steve Barron mm-hmm. did a whole, whole bunch of movie credits and whatever else before Ninja Turtles. Right. One of the earliest entries on his IMDb page. It's an uncredited listing as a clapper loader. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> For a little film called Superman. Full circle, baby. Look at you go. <laughs> it was it was destiny. It was unspoken genius. It was it's fantastic. <laughs> That's good. Thank you so much for being the Alpha and the Omega for season one, my friend. Appreciate it. I, I really appreciate it. And for uh, doing all of the the, uh, the the intros for the show, which was a lot of fun too. Yeah. I'm getting that recorded and picking out uh, sound bites and putting them all together. Um, as you folks have probably all realized now, uh, next week, well, there won't be a new episode next week. And I know there's one gentleman who's going to be extra teary about that. Um, sorry, Phil, uh, but you'll endure. What we're going to take a little break uh, over the holidays here. Um, I started a new business recently and um, Christmas is hopefully going to be really, really busy. Um, so I'd like to put a little bit of focus into that. There are plans for a season two of Four Color Radio. So if you are someone who would like to chat about uh, your favorite soundtrack or or music based off of a comic book property, uh, get in touch with me. Hit me up. Let's talk. Let's start making some plans. And then we can have uh, season two, you know, rolling and we'll do another 30 plus episodes and and fill up some more uh, airtime here on Sound Sugar Radio. They seem to kind of like it. They they tell me I'm doing a good job. a lot of people say a lot of things, though, and I just you <laughs> and know, people talk. People talk, yeah. So, uh, so that's great. To all of you who have been listening, to those of you who uh, have tuned in each week, or join us in the chat, or download the episode, or tune into Sound Sugar Radio and listen to it afterwards. Thank you so much, um, and please shout at me with any recommendations you might have for future episodes. Uh, if you are looking for the episodes, again, SoundSugarRadio.com, where they're listed there under Four Color Radio. You can also go on to Spotify and begin downloading the podcast. I've Um, I think we're about mm, almost halfway through uploading all the episodes. There is also the four color radio playlist, uh, which has the music from as many episodes as were available online. Um, Tonight's show might take a little bit of work because there, there was no Ninja Turtle soundtrack on Spotify. So uh, again, my name is Jay Bardella. Thank you all for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Um, Hopefully uh, we will talk to you all again sooner than later. Please take care and, uh, and enjoy music and comics, hopefully, together.